Hello? This is B-Side. I'm Tamara Keith. Do you remember the game telephone that we used to play in elementary school? The whole class would sit around in a big circle. Someone would start by whispering a phrase in their neighbor's ear. Then that person would pass it along to the next and the next, and around the circle it spread. Usually by the end of the game, the phrase had been totally distorted beyond all recognition. On this edition of B-Side, we're talking about gossip and the other ways that we share information. And we're also playing a virtual game of telephone. It starts with me. I'm going to paraphrase a passage of this book that I found that I think fits our theme pretty well. It's called Gossip, 10 Pathways to Remove It from Your Life and Transform Your Soul. Then I'll pass it along to Rob, who will listen just once before recording what he remembers. And the game of telephone begins. There's a 19th century folktale about a man who went around town slandering the town's wise man. One day he went to the wise man's home and asked for forgiveness. The wise man realized that the man had not internalized the gravity of his transgressions, and he told him he would forgive him on one condition. He has to go home, take a feather pillow from the house, cut it up, and scatter the feathers to the wind. Though puzzled by this strange request, the man was happy to be let off so easily. He quickly cut up a pillow, scattered the feathers, and returned to the house. And he said, Am I now forgiven? And the wise man said, Just one more thing. Go now and gather up all the feathers. But that's impossible, the man said. They've already been scattered in the wind. Precisely, said the wise man. And it is just as impossible to repair the damage done by your words as it is to recover the feathers. Your words are out there in the marketplace, spreading hate even as we speak. All right, Rob, now it's your turn. Okay, so there's a story uh, from the 19th century about a person who is slandering a town, and uh, for his transgressions against the towns, he went to go see the wise man. And the wise man said to him, Hey, buddy, you know, you've been talking a lot of smack about our town, and... Uh, I'm Marie in Berkeley, California. And the wise man says, um, what you'll have to do is you'll have to take a pillow, split it open, and spread the feathers all over town. So we've already gone from slandering a wise man to slandering a whole town, and our little game of telephone has only just begun. I'll admit I'm a bit of a gossip. I, I just love a good story, and, and it doesn't really matter who it's about. It could be a total stranger. Our first piece from Sabina Heinlein tells us about a guy who generates so many good stories he's taken on mythic proportions, at least among her group of friends. We don't actually meet Jay, just the people who love to talk about him. And he's also, I mean, Jay is such a character, you know, it really, that there are stories to tell about him, you know. He eats at midnight every night, or what was that? Did you, were you in the room? No. Or he eats really late every night and he eats the same thing, he eats like pork, loin or something like grilled on like a George Foreman grill and a salad and he's the same thing every night at exactly the same time. That was Rebecca sharing one of the famous Jay stories with Lizzie and me. Rebecca and Lizzie have never met Jay but they know him pretty well. Well sort of. They work together with Giovanni in a gallery in Manhattan. They all share a really small cramped office so whatever one person says everyone else hears. Besides, Lizzie and Rebecca just love listening to Giovanni telling stories about his friend Jay. I can't believe all these stories are the same person. I know. So I know, it's nuts. <laughs> One day, not too long ago, Giovanni received an email from Jay about a date he was going on. Giovanni read the email out loud at work. 
he sent me all the correspondence he was having with this girl. He was asking her out on a date and he wanted my opinion on what was going on. So he sent me everything that had transpired between she and, and him. And he has a history of doing that. He would send me entire conversations he would have with other women. But um, this time I happened to receive it while I was at work. And I um, I felt bad about it, but I, I had to read a part of it to my coworkers. You know, like, the, the reading of the email, I was, I was like, wow, we should not be hearing this. We really shouldn't be hearing this. But it was fantastic. <laughs> it was such a great email. <laughs> How could he not... Read that, read that exactly. The fact that he was so specific about asking me what he should do, like how exactly should he ask her out on a date, where they should go out on the date, you know, he was he basically wanted me to give him a script for the entire thing, you know, from from the beginning to the end. Are you, it was he was going to meet her, right? Right. Yeah. And he didn't know. He wanted to know, like, specifically, what should he do on the date, and how should he act, and or how should he respond to this email that she sent him. Like, I think basically wanted Giovanni to write like, it for him. Go with him on the date. <laughs> Jay is an artist, a painter who lives in Brooklyn. The story goes that Jay actually hardly ever paints because just having to go to the bank or to the supermarket screws up his daily routine. You have to imagine, everything in Jay's life is very, very complicated. The couple of times I went to Jay's house, I did see about a dozen paintings on the walls. Giovanni says that Jay reworks these paintings over and over again, mainly changing tiny details that nobody else notices. But we are also totally amused by the idea behind Jay's paintings. It's really just one basic idea, which illustrates pretty well what fuels all the gossip about Jay. So he does a lot of paintings of himself surrounded by young half-dressed women dancing around him, celebrating him. Part of the creepy thing is that he paints himself as a child. It'll be an eight-year-old in a Spider-Man costume with 20 young girls in skimpy dresses dancing around him. Or a 12-year-old with a tennis racket in his hand and all these half-naked women riding at his feet. And he has a painting of a young girl. She's smiling really big. Um... It's just her face, and her braces spell out his name. I guess Giovanni thinks that Jay's self-celebration gives others a free pass to celebrate Jay in their own way. Jay does seem to set himself up for it. I don't know. Someone who's so eager to share his passions makes an easy target. You know, he, he'll go to a party and start talking to a complete stranger about his porn addiction. There was a, a curator that came to his studio and he got in a conversation with her about um, how he subscribed to a catalog of um, clothing for teenage girls um, because he liked looking through the pictures of the teenage girls, you know, romping around in shorts with absolutely no self-consciousness, you know, like just acting like it's the most normal thing in the world. So that's part of what encourages all this gossip, you know, is that he says these scandalous things that other people would never admit to or they would be at least self-conscious about or that they would just limit that to their closest friends. He just blurts them out. So there shouldn't be a problem going up to Jay saying, hey, I know you're really fascinated with yourself. And there's a whole bunch of other people who are really fascinated by you. Well, I didn't feel comfortable doing that. I just didn't want to be the one telling him. I was afraid. I mean, gossip may be fun, but it can hurt. In fact, Jay isn't even his real name. I made it up to protect Jay's privacy, just in case there is such a thing. 
I also tried to interview Jason, another of Giovanni's co-workers and a friend of Jay's. Jason can go on for hours talking about Jay, but he declined when I wanted to interview him. He sent me this email. I asked Giovanni to read it out loud for me, since he seems to enjoy reading his friend's emails in front of a large audience. Sabina, I'm sorry, but I just can't do it. I realize I'm probably being completely hypocritical, but it's one thing to get worked up into a caffeine-fueled frenzy and laugh at Jay's mental, emotional, physical imperfections in an attempt to relieve workplace boredom, but it's another to sit down and actually examine the ins and outs of this dubious activity. I've known Jay long enough to consider him a friend, and while I obviously don't have much of a problem talking about him behind his back, I guess I do have a problem talking about talking about him behind his back. Good luck, Jason. We tell ourselves stories in order to live. That's John Didion's famous first line in her essay, The White Album. Whenever I hear Jason, Giovanni, Lizzie, or Rebecca talk about Jay, John Didion's first sentence echoes in my mind. I don't know if we really can't live without stories, but stories definitely make life and work a whole lot easier. It's not about disclosing really personal stuff, it's about telling really funny stories. You know, like his foibles are ridiculous. And so I, I think that that's what it's about, you know. And I don't think that the girls are even that particularly eager to meet him or, or, or not. You know, they just like hearing the funny stories. And it just becomes this routine then, like, what's the latest on Jay? What has he been up to? What's the most recent crazy story about Jay? You could give him some girl advice. I could be like, he really needs to just relax. <laughs> um, it's not that big of a deal. Did you see what she did to him? Did you hear what they said? Just a New York conversation rattling in my head. Producer Sabina Heinlein is a graduate student at NYU. And what shall we wear? Oh my, and who really cares? Just a New York conversation, gossip all of the time. Did you hear who did what to whom happens all the time? This is B-Side. I'm Tamara Keith, and we're in the middle of a game of telephone. This is a virtual game because the members of the B-Side crew live all over the world, really. So we can't exactly sit in a circle and whisper in each other's ears. Instead, we're spreading a 19th century folktale using microphones and email to see how much it changes as it's passed from one person to another. This is Elizabeth Schur in San Francisco. So there was a story from the 19th century, and a man was uh, spreading rumors about a village, and um, he felt some remorse about doing this, and he wanted to uh, repent for his bad ways. So he went to a wise man. This is Ethan Lindsay in Berlin. This is a story about a man who had been spreading rumors and gossip and innuendo about a small town. And at the end of his life, he decided he wanted to make up for this. So he went to an old wise man and asked him, how do I fix this? How do I make up for the fact that I've been spreading gossip about everyone in this small town? I'm Molly Peterson in New Orleans. And so what does the spiritual advisor say? He says, go get yourself a pillow with feathers in it and go up on a roof. So the guy does. And he goes up on the roof and he cuts the pillow open with a knife and it's a full moon. And under the light of the full moon, the feathers fly everywhere and the wind carries them all over the city. And the guy goes back to the spiritual advisor the next day and says, I did that. I went up on the roof last night and I cut open a pillow with feathers and I let the feathers go everywhere. Now what? And the advisor looks at him all smug and he says, that is the danger of gossip. 
gossip goes everywhere and cannot be brought back. And the guy looks at him like, why is that helpful? If you listen carefully, there are some subtle and not-so-subtle differences in the way people tell the same story. Some details are dropped, and others are added. There's a feature on the San Francisco Chronicle's website called The Daily Dish, and um, I love The Daily Dish. It shows up on their website every day around 3 o'clock, um, which is about the time my brain needs a vacation. And it's this compilation of British tabloid gossip stuff. Uh, basically, British tabloids writing about American celebrities. It's where I learned that Kevin Federline had become FedEx because Britney Spears dumped him and that Tomcat got married in Italy and all kinds of other things I really don't need to know. When it comes to people who aren't in the paparazzi spotlight, it used to be that you'd have to know somebody or have a friend who had a friend who actually knew what was going on. But not anymore. As Ethan Lindsay tells us, dating dramas now play out for all to see on MySpace.com. Here, for your enjoyment, is an audio representation of my last big breakup. First came the argument. All right, I care. I busted my ass all day cleaning this house and then cooking that meal, and I worked today. It would be nice if you said thank you and helped me with the dishes. Fine. I'll help you do the damn dishes. Oh, come on. You know what? No. That's, see, that's not what I want. You just said that you want me to help you do the dishes. I want you to want to do the dishes. Why would I want to do dishes? Then came the conversation. You lied to me, George. You lied to me. What would I do? <laughs> what, where are you going? I am breaking up with you. <laughs> and finally, the reality. <laughs> no, please no. Pretty standard, I thought, until I talked to some other people about their most recent breakups. And it seems for the breakup to be official, I now need to sever the ties online. Yeah, I have a MySpace, and uh, it was set to in a relationship. That's Aaron, not his real name. He just got out of a four-year relationship, and he's talking about social networking, those sites like MySpace that have changed the way we communicate. Every MySpace user is represented online by their homepage. You can customize it with pictures and music, but the first thing you do when you create your MySpace page is enter your personal details. And the first detail they ask about is your relationship status. Your options are single, in a relationship, married, things like that. If you aren't really sure where you're at, you can even select It's Complicated. No, 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 it was just straight to single. It wasn't complicated. I guess if I thought it was temporary, I wouldn't have changed it. MySpace even reminds you that if you want your page to be accurate, you need to constantly monitor and update it. If you move, you should change your profile. If you get married, you should change your profile. And if you end a long-term relationship, you should change your profile. By doing so, it's almost an announcement, a public acknowledgement, but that brings up an interesting question. Since it is so public, what's the right way to change your profile to reflect your new status? And how long should someone wait before the switch? Uh, you know, I think it was like two hours later. Well, I was already on the computer, and I think I was fooling around on MySpace, and I thought, oh, you know, I should make this permanent and just change this now. Just sort of a, a finalizing thing. Like, I, I cleaned up my apartment of all her possessions, and it's just was part of that, I guess. He took the pictures of her down from his apartment, and he deleted the digital pictures from his MySpace page. Not everyone is so subtle in dealing with a breakup online. MySpace users can write an online diary or blog, and those are public too. MTV stars Travis Barker and Shanna Mochler learned that the hard way. 
the newlywed rock drummer and beauty queen let MTV cameras follow them around for a reality show. Then their marriage ended, and they started trading accusations and insults via their MySpace pages. The gossip pages loved it. But for all their benefits for sharing information, these social networking sites still can't replace human interaction. So much of communication is based on uh, body language, exactly. And like Idris Danish is one of Aaron's best friends. Up until this summer, he was engaged to be married. But his fiance lived in New York, and he lived in San Diego. He says they thought all the things like MySpace and email would help them stay in touch and make up for the long distance. I think a lot's lost over the phone and email. And, like, you lose inflection and, like, tone and... You know, a lot of things. And uh, I guess, like, we just started kind of arguing about, like, kind of small, silly things. And uh, eventually got to the point where it kind of, like, brought out, like, deep pro deeper problems, I guess. And and I think if it, if we were in person, I don't think it might, it might not have gotten to that level. His MySpace used to be a lifeline, the portal to the woman he loved. But now that his relationship is over, Idris clearly doesn't take his MySpace page so seriously anymore. Today, if you visit his page, you're greeted with a not-so-recent song from Narles Barkley and a humorous online greeting where he brags about his swimming skills. In fact, he says he's so sour on the whole social networking thing, he doesn't even use MySpace anymore. And when I recently checked, Idris's dating status was still listed as in a relationship. He hasn't logged in to change it since the engagement was called off. For B-Side, I'm Ethan Lindsay. And even B-Side has a MySpace page. It's myspace.com slash radio B-Side. We're listed as single, but I suppose that could change. Or you could go the traditional route. Our web address is bsideradio.org. This is B-Side, and we're playing a game of telephone. You know, like the game we used to play when we were little kids. Though this time it's sort of a virtual game. And the story we're telling, instead of a tongue twister, is a folktale about gossip. Hi, my name is Allison Rahm, and I'm in Columbus, Ohio. I just heard an interesting story about a man in a small town who needs to get some advice uh, about a problem he has. Um, so this story takes place in a small town, and this man is a compulsive gossiper. And it sounds like he has really created a lot of problems in his town, spread a lot of rumors, and uh, he needs to get some help with his issue. So he goes to this spiritual advisor and says, please, can you help me? I need to stop. Hi, this is Jody Avergan from New York, New York, and I was just passed along an interesting story. It involves a man in a Ohio town, a Midwestern town, and he's a compulsive gossiper, rumor monger. Did you hear that? He said in an Ohio town, a Midwestern town. He must have heard Allison saying that she lives in Ohio, because when we started this game of telephone, it was a 19th century folktale that didn't take place in any particular town. On this edition of B-Side, we're talking about the way words travel, how conversations begin and how they end, and what we actually have to say to each other. Our next story comes from B-Side's Renee Gutel. She found a guy who talks on the phone constantly. 
His name is Luke Johnson, and he's launched what he calls the Luke Johnson Phone Experiment. Here's the story. It all started with a video posted on YouTube. My name is Luke Johnson, and this is my phone experiment. The idea behind the experiment is to find out how many people will call me if I post my cell phone number on the Internet for the whole world to see. Here's how it works. My cell phone number is 602-435-3694. Luke Johnson is 26. In his video, he's wearing a hip T-shirt, and with his shaggy, dark blonde hair, he comes off as a skater type, or maybe a surfer, just the kind of random dude that you might actually want to talk to, say if you're bored and trolling the Internet. I want you to call my cell phone right now. I don't care why you call, and I don't care what you say, but I'll answer as many calls as I can. Meanwhile, I'm going to keep track of how many calls I... Since the video was posted, he's answered more than 11,000 phone calls. He carries his cell with him all the time, ready to talk to total strangers at a moment's notice about anything. Luke Johnson's phone experiment. Hi, how's it going? You are caller number 11,220. He's taken calls from Denmark, France, Switzerland, Japan, Korea, China, all over the place. He's a walking conversation hotline. Yeah, so where are you calling from? That's great. How's the weather there? The conversations tend to be pretty mundane. For the most part, people just want to find out what caller number they are, and then they want to just say, good job, keep it up, you know, great idea, things like that. There are people who will want to talk for, for a long time. I've talked to some people for hours before. He answers all the calls he can, but he does sort of have a life. He's a college administrator, and he's married. His wife's a hairdresser. When he wants a break, he'll let the calls go to voicemail. New message, Wednesday, 1.07 p.m. Luke says most of his callers called just once, find out he's for real, and then hang up. But some keep calling back. Luke says once an entire cheerleading squad in Florida called him every day for two weeks. Since the experiment began, he's also started talking regularly with this boy named Tyson. He's, I think, 12 years old, and he loves to to call. He called me and told me he got suspended from school, and I told him I'd got in-school suspension once, and he said that's nothing compared to, he gets that every week, that's nothing compared to real suspension. So so it's like uh, you're his big brother or something. Kind of, and he, apparently he needs one if he's getting suspended and in-school suspension every other week, so, yeah. Luke Johnson's phone experiment. How's it going? Good. I'm actually doing a uh, radio interview right now. It's going really well. So Although far. he says the experiment is going well, it's clear that it's yeah, also it's been taxing. He says the first week he didn't turn his cell phone off at all, not even at night, and that he grew exhausted and sleep-deprived. He's had to start setting limits, and now he turns his phone off when he goes to bed. I did have to set some boundaries, definitely. My, my boss has made me set some boundaries at work also. What's weird about the Luke Johnson phone experiment is that not even Luke Johnson can really explain why he's doing it or what he hopes to get out of it. I asked him over and over again to tell me why he's turned his life upside down to talk to random strangers, and he just says he wanted to see how many people would really call him. I'm always just trying to come up with different ideas and something unique. I just I like trying things that are are really different and no you know people haven't done before and 
some other ones I've actually might try soon. So. Any you can tell me about? Yeah, <laughs> I came up with one to see. I didn't think anybody had ever, and this one's, uh, you know, uh, just a fun idea to me, but to try on the most pairs of underwear out of anybody. So buy like the smallest pair and then like the hugest pairs and buy hundreds of pairs and just one over the other and, and get in the Guinness Book of World Records for wearing the most pair of underwear. There's another reason too. I said Luke's a college administrator, but really what he does is he makes outbound phone calls on behalf of a for-profit university, calling up potential students and trying to get them to sign up for classes. It's kind of like telemarketing. I've done outgoing sales for a total of, I mean, in my entire career, a total of probably five and a half years. That's interesting. So you spent five and a half years calling strangers, and then you just wanted to find out how many people would finally call you. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. I never thought about it like that, actually. And it's funny because all my calls are inbound now, so maybe I want, want to be paid back for all the phone calls I've made. Maybe it's my turn to get the phone calls. Here's what else I think. Some people just have a need to communicate. Luke's a talker. He needs to talk the same way that he needs air to breathe. It's just a part of who he is. Well, I really appreciate the call, and uh, please spread the video. Okay, thanks so much. You too. Bye-bye. For B-Side, I'm Renee Gattel. Luke can be reached at 602-435-3694, and I can guarantee he's waiting for your call. My name is John Tynan, and I was just told this story about a guy who, he was an earnest guy, hardworking, honest, but he had this flaw. He gossiped, and he felt bad about it. It really played on his brain. And so he went to his spiritual advisor, and the guy said, we can take care of this. Just take a pillow with you to the tallest building in the town and then cut open the pillow and let the feathers fall down onto the streets below. So he did it. He went up to the tallest building in the town and he took the pillow and cut it and let it fall and the feathers fell and they fell onto the people walking down below. And he looked at that and it just, it made an impression, but it didn't quite make sense. And so he went back to his spiritual advisor and he said, I did what you asked and the feathers, they fell on the people and uh, what do you want me to do about it? What, what does it mean? And he said, when you gossip, that is what happens. These little lies fall on the people that you talk about. Wow, John's really good at telling a story. 
though he didn't exactly tell the story that we started with. And I think he totally missed the moral of the story. But I guess that's not entirely his fault, because he was just retelling what he had heard. And that's just the way stories change. And I guess it's a bit of a cautionary tale, too, because you never know if that rumor you're spreading is accurate. Well, that's all for this edition of B-Side. Our show was produced by Renee Gutel. And I just want to thank all of the B-Side crew members who listened to our funny little folktale and re-recorded it and sent it along to someone else. I'm senior producer Tamara Keith. Thanks for listening. Oh, and check us out on the web, bsideradio.org, or find our podcast on iTunes.